thanks to our sponsor, ShareGate. ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. That's why they've created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. With ShareGate Apricot, you get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. You can automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphaned teams and collaborate with team owners on corrective measures to help keep your teams tidy and secure. That's why they've combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool, with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 398. Today, AC and I are going to talk about landing on Mars, chip shortages, and other Microsoft news, recorded live February 24th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun application performance monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. Back to the show. How did it feel cheating on me, AC? It actually felt really good. We had a really good time. <laughs> Sometimes you just need a bit of variety. Yeah, I guess it was cool. <laughs> oh, man, we might get a lot of trouble for that intro. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, please make sure you tune in to episode 397, where he's referring to the fact that CJ was not on the show and I had two guest hosts on. That's all it is. <laughs> That's true. Yes. No, I'm just being silly, of course. But uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to listen to the show yet, but I saw... Mark's post on Twitter saying that uh, it would have been better with me. So I was like, well, that's a nice comment, I suppose. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> he said that I think it was just to make you feel better because I don't think it would have been. Yeah, exactly. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it did make me feel a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> we had a great time. We, I really like sitting down with the two of them, with Julie Turner and Mark Anderson, and just talking about 365. And the only bad thing about the show is that we didn't have enough time to really talk about everything we wanted to talk about. They're, they're right. two people that just have, they're very different people individually, but in terms of like what yep. their backgrounds are, but they also have some really good perspectives on the space. And so I love getting together with them and talking to them. And of course we shot the breeze a little bit too much at the beginning of the show before we started recording. And it's like, all right, I have a hard stop. We got to, we got to get going. And of course we didn't get to everything we wanted to get to, but it was still, we had a great conversation. Nice. Awesome. I'll definitely listen to that over the next couple of days. Did you have fun on the vacation with the family? I did. I did. It was nice actually. Bit of get out of town time. It was good. We went to Schweitzer in Idaho to go skiing. And so it was freezing cold. The lake that we were staying on was all frozen over. It was good to get out of the house and get some fresh air and things like that. And it was very quiet. There was there were not very many people around, so I didn't have to worry about any of that. And and uh, we just uh, we got four days of great skiing and it was awesome. That's awesome. That's good. Yeah, you guys nice. You guys looked like you had a great time. It was um that looked like tell a- you what though, I could hardly walk when I at the end of the week. Man. Too much skiing? Four days four days back to back, man, my legs were just wrecked. <laughs> Absolutely wrecked. We went hard. We went hard. It was good. That's good. Yeah. It's a good vacation. Hey, we obviously this last week while I was away was, you know, while I was skiing, I also had to uh, tune in on for some news about what was going on with Mars and things. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Mm. But obviously, yeah, there was more than just skiing going on last week. There's quite a bit happening. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I thought before we started diving into our news, I did want to throw in a couple things. I'm looking forward to sitting down and doing a catch up on like home automation stuff with you because I've, I've got a, yeah. I'm in the midst of switching from smart things over to home assistant. Yep. Yep. I've gotten everything in home assistant set up except for everything that's in smart things. And that's the part I'm 
not struggling with, but it's like, I got enough stuff going on right now where it's like going, okay, I can't do all this right now, but yeah, yeah. but yeah, I'm man, home assistant. I absolutely love it. I mean, talk about a speed improvement is over smart things. is just, it's right. I mean, no shocker, right? Smart things is cloud is cloudy uh, oriented now, whereas home yeah. assistant is all local, but there were two. What are you running it on? I'm running it on a VM inside of a Mac mini. I see. Gotcha. Two or three cool. year old Mac mini. So it, you can do it on, on a Raspberry Pi. I didn't want to deal with, I didn't want to deal with a Raspberry Pi. I have one, but I didn't want to deal with it. Yep. And I wanted to have a very easy like backup solution. And I was like, going, you know, I can shut the VM down and I can copy the VM off to my NAS. So I'm like, that's easy peasy. Yeah. There is an option to to get it up and running with a, a virtual box image that they provide you. And then you spin it up. And I just have it set up to auto start and to, I had to go on the like Mac OS. There's a way to do like an auto start thing, like an auto runs. Mm-hmm. And so I started up via command line when the Mac mini reboots. And then it also does, and then it runs headless. So it's just, yeah. it's awesome. And then there's, well, I'll go into the other stuff. There's a whole issue with like trying to get it accessible from outside the house and everything. And yeah. we'll catch up on that stuff in a future show. But I did think since in the past, Always good to you know show both sides of something. In the past, we have talked to at least I've raved quite a bit about the Apple M1 chip that came out uh, a couple months ago, and there have been two bits of bad news about it, or not, I shouldn't say bad news, but there's two bits of news about it. One of them may be very bad. We'll have to see. I saw it this morning, and I don't know if it's legit. But the first one is the first bit of malware is starting to show up on M1s. It's been written specifically for. The M1 chip specifically for ARM, and it's this thing called the Silver huh. Sparrow. The problem is, is that it doesn't do anything, or at least nobody knows what it does. They don't think it does anything based on what they've looked at it, but they do know that it's very widespread. Already? Yeah, like 130-some-odd thousand machines already have it. 138,000 is what I saw Wild. like two days ago. So. They've noticed it, but they don't know what it does, and they're just like, huh. So it's like, yeah, actually, Max can get viruses for those people who say it doesn't. That's interesting. The one that I thought was more scary was, I was reading this today, and this could be scary. So apparently, the M1 MacBooks are experiencing an extremely high hard drive writes over a relatively short amount of time, and they're SSDs, which means that they're only limited amount to a certain amount of writes. And what they've shown so far is that in just a couple months, some of these in the most severe cases have already consumed 10 to 13% of the maximum writable TBW values the SSDs have. What's interesting about that is it says that if you have a 256 gig MacBook, in some of the cases that they've seen, you may have already used up 30% of the life of that machine because that SSD is not replaceable. Huh. There's one guy that has a the most the worst case, where's that one post? The worst case that they've seen so far is a guy has used up in just two months, he's used up 10% of his drive, of his machine. That's definitely a problem Apple's going to have to address. Yeah. So that's a little scary. I just read it today. I wonder what's causing it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, mm. it's something about like the swap. There, People are theorizing that it's a um, massive swap file dealing with the memory, and it's something just the way that the, that the M1 is set up. Because the memory is, it doesn't have as much memory as, an, as another machine, but. I'm curious. Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of, uh, that's a bummer. Well, I mean, maybe Apple will have to, I don't know, remediate those drives somehow. Or um, at a minimum, it's going to be some, some firmware updates or some, or some software updates to, uh, to address these crazy data write behaviors mm-hmm. for some reason. It'd be, it's going to be interesting to watch. Be interesting to watch. I mean, yeah. Glad I'm not leading the way with this with this one right now. But that would that's the based on the number of, of of posts that I've seen about it in this one thread and people showing evidence of like what the report, what the smart diagnostics tools that you can run, what they say. It's yeah. kind of like everything they're showing, kind of like going. So this doesn't look like FUD. Is there something hmm. special here that we don't? know about or that these tools don't really like i just apple hasn't said anything or i haven't read anything yet so yeah we have to wait and see what they say exactly something to watch yeah very interesting all right well how about we dive into some news this episode is sponsored by nintex if you could score an extra hour or two back in your day would you take it because our friends over at nintex want to give you a gift 
the gift of time. Seriously, if you haven't checked out what Nintex has to offer lately, you definitely should. The platform built on Azure has evolved a lot. In just the past few months, the Nintex team has added new process mapping capabilities and most recently, a new eSign capability called Nintex Sign, powered by Adobe Sign. Nintex also continues to revolutionize products you know and trust, including Nintex Workflow and Forms. With the power of Nintex, it is faster and easier for you to configure, not code, giving you valuable time back every day to sprint it however you want. Test drive the Nintex Process Cloud at Nintex.com. This podcast is brought to you by Fpoint. If you like the Cloud Show, you will love the Shift Happens podcast with Microsoft MVP and Regional Director Dux Raymond Sai. Each week, Dux talks with one of the industry's brightest stars about their most challenging modern workplace or digital transformation projects. He uncovers the players, organizational hurdles, and last-minute surprises that inevitably arise when ambitious people try to impact their workplace. Season one features FedEx, Wells Fargo, Heathrow Airport, United Airlines, and other industry leaders. Go to www.avpoint.com forward slash blog forward slash shift happens or search for the hashtag shift happens. That's one word, hashtag shift happens, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. And we're back. All right. So this week, Bean, in between epic ski runs, I sat on the slope, cranked open some uh, streaming on my phone and watched a Roverland. (laughs) Was that not too cool? Unbelievably cool. You know, so I guess, yeah, we have a new rover on Mars. That's certainly very cool. What's super cool about this time is just the, the, the extra step up and the ability to participate in it. You know, like the visibility with photography and video and things that we're seeing come back is really just a step above anything we've seen before. Yeah. And, you know, you watched the press conference the other day and they showed video of the rover like dangling below the, I don't, what do you call it, the lander? The sky, and um, sky crane. The sky crane. Yeah. And we haven't seen video footage like that before. We saw video footage of it coming in through the atmosphere and the and under parachute and the parachutes deploying and then the parachute's being cut away and the and the sky crane and all that and it coming down towards the surface and blowing all the dust around and dropping the rover down and like, oh my God, that's so cool. Yeah. I can't imagine what else they've got in store for us, you know? Very cool. Perseverance rover you know, land on the February the 18th, I think it was. It was very cool, right? And we got the first few pictures back. So yeah. years ago, six years ago, I think, something like that, I did a, a job at the at JPL, at NASA JPL over in Pasadena, California, where I was teaching a, a SharePoint class. As a, so wait, SharePoint's on the rover? No, we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> SPFX is on the rover? No, no. no. This was, um, I think it was a SharePoint, <laughs> it was an add-in course. It was, it was with critical path training and it was, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was SharePoint 2016 or 13. Oh yeah. Might've been 13. So, it was 13. It was based on SharePoint 2013. So I did this, this course for these guys. And JPL has like two different facilities. They have like the one where it's like the data center type thing where all the IT stuff happens. And they have another place that they call lab. And that's where all the sci- spacey, sciencey manufacturing and everything happens. So I'm over in the, in the data warehouse or the, the IT side. And one of my students is like going, yeah, do you want to go on a, um, do you want to go on a tour? I'm like, oh, yeah. He's like, when do you want to go? I'm like, this is a private class. You guys are paying me for my time. So whenever you want to do it, they go, how about we just take like a three-hour lunch one day? I'm like, not like after class? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I'm game. And I got, I lucked out because the dude that gave the class was, I, I'm pretty sure, but I may, be, I may be mistaken, was the director of JPL that actually gave us the private tour. And it was just a couple guys from my class and me. So it was like a very private tour and got to see tons of stuff, got to see... Um, that really cool heat shield that they were that they were te- that were about to test. I saw the Insight rover being tested before it was actually packaged up and it actually was sent, which was another rover that's out there that's on Mars. But anyway, so I maintain a connection with like one or two of these guys. One of the guys, it's like I swear he's like my he's like my doppelganger. He is like huge into space stuff. He's a developer. He's huge into racing. He's huge into cars. It's just like he's huge into Lego. So he sent me. You know, some of the news about it. I was like, oh, this is cool. Hey, 
By the way, any chance this time around you guys had video of this? Because seeing like an HD video of that landing would have been freaking awesome. And all he did was he just like, keep your eyes peeled next week. I'm like, (laughs) I texted this to you, right? I was like going, you're not going to believe what my friend just said. I had no idea it was coming on Monday this past week. And that's so cool. You know, we have a link to the rover in the, uh, the, like the main page on the NASA website. And I also put a link to the YouTube press conference where they showed the video the very first time. And if you're a space geek or you're a technophile or whatever, it's worth watching the whole two-hour presser. You learn a lot of really interesting things like, and you just alluded to this a second ago, did you know that the guy that invented the space crane 15 years ago when it was used for curiosity, it's only been used twice, once for curiosity to lower it down and once for perseverance to lower it down. Did you know he's never seen it work? Because you can't test it on Earth. That was the first time he'd ever seen his invention actually work. They've never, they've, you, everything cool. else has been models and theory and the right. testing they've done, but that's the first time he's ever seen it work. All computer models, unable to physically test it. Yeah. yeah. Did you also know? Wow. It's customized, but they're using Linux for the first time on the rover. And so now, oh, really? there are now two planets in the solar system that have more deployed versions of Linux than they do Windows. <laughs> Speaking of that, do you know why astronauts use Linux? I can see a dad joke coming. They can't open Windows. <laughs> I've been holding on to that one for, for about a week now. Uh, for you to come back. <laughs> I see. That's a keeper, buddy. That's a keeper. That's pretty awesome. That is pretty cool. Yeah, I guess that's. it blows my mind that people work on these projects. Some people can work on these projects their entire careers. And they're lucky if at the end of their career they see it happen, mm-hmm. right? Whatever the outcome that they were working towards. Yeah, there's some scientists that work their entire careers and never see the result of all of their work come to fruition. Mm-hmm. And then some that it takes the whole careers. There's people who have been working on this stuff for decades. And, have, you know, obviously JPL's put, put uh, quite a bit into space, but um, it must feel incredible to hit a milestone like this, landing something on another planet with all this new tech and video footage and photos for the first, you know, video for the first time and audio for the first time as well, strangely enough, right? This is the first time we've got an audio clip from Mars. Did you hear the story about that? Like the guy that's in charge of the the microphone? Like the story he told during the presser? No. Oh, this is so special. This, it was like one of those, like, I'm not crying. There's dust in the room. No, yeah, it's just dust in my eyes. So there's two microphones. One of them failed because it was supposed to get audio from the descent and coming down. I think it was somewhere between and the hardware, but because it's a the microphone is picking up an analog signal and converting it over to digital. And they think that that process on the first microphone failed. Now, the second microphone, they only think that that microphone is only going to last for a certain amount of time because it is a, an off-the-shelf microphone. Just like the cameras gotcha. and the video cameras are all off-the-shelf type stuff. They've, they've modified them a little bit for the, ex- God, the... The imaging guy explained all this cool stuff about how they had to open up one of the cameras and they had to put additional like sealant and stuff on them. But then they also had to put sealant in specific places because some of the components of the camera had outgassing and of the boards and they didn't want that outgassing to happen in the vacuum of space and affect the rover in the seven month travel time and stuff. It was like, oh my God, I didn't even think about that, but that's awesome. Oh, wow. So this second microphone, so this guy was sitting there, NASA reached out to JPL and said, hey, can you put a microphone on this? And NASA's like, and JPL's like, huh, let's look. So kind of some research. They go, hey, we think we can. So let's see what we can do. So about a year later, after they made that decision, the guy is doing, he actually took the microphone that he was using during the interview and he put it aside and took a copy of the one that's on the rover and he used that for the microphone to do the rest of his interview. Oh, that's cool. And he's explaining how he was giving a private tour at JPL and he just in passing said that, hey, you know, we're going to put a microphone on this one. And this one person in the tour got like super excited. So this is so cool that you're doing this, the microphone. This is so cool. This is so special. And after the, the he's like, hey, you know, thank you. That, that That's, you know, he was very... Uh, appreciative. And after the tour, he went up to this lady and he's like, I'm curious, why is this such a big deal to you? Why is the audio such a big deal to you? And she's like, so my sister and I have been following a lot of this stuff for years. And we follow a lot of the, you know, the space program and going to Mars and the stuff that JPL does. It's really special to us. And I think it's so neat what you guys are doing. But 
my sister is visually impaired. And so she can't enjoy mm. the pictures and the videos and stuff that mm. we can all enjoy. And now she's going to be able to hear something. And so now she's going to be able to really enjoy it. And right. he was so, and the guys, and so the guys up there and he's like, I so regret not getting her name. He said, but if you're watching this, please reach out to us because I'd love to know how you're enjoying what's going on. The stuff wow, that's coming that's back. that's so cool. And it's just, I heard this and I'm just like, mm, it's dusty in here. <laughs> Yeah, is that Mars dust in my eyes? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so cool what they're doing. Oh, with us. that's so cool. I could yeah, t- I look forward to the rest of the mission and and seeing what they do. I could talk so much more about this mission, about the stuff they're doing. There's a cool little helicopter on here. They're going to get rock samples. They're going to send them back to Earth from Mars and get to the chopper. Oh my God, there's so much yeah. cool stuff that somebody's listening is going. Wait a minute, they're going to put rock samples on a chopper and fly it back to Earth? How does that work? I'm like, no, that's not what I meant. Two, those are two different statements. <laughs> And let's not forget, dare mighty things. And the coordinates. And the coordinates. Oh, you should, so for you those of you this. who are all confused, during the press conference, they showed some imagery of the parachute deployment, and they talked about all the scientific interesting things that they could learn from this great footage of a parachute above the package, I don't know what to call it, the payload, mm-hmm. uh, coming in. And how it was incredible that it was, you know, it was deployed at over the speed of sound and all this sort of stuff. And then he said, and you might be wondering why we put these patterns, these random patterns on the, or the patterns on the, on the parachute. Well, you know, there's good scientific reasons for that so that we can see, we can learn about the deployment and we can watch what happens and with twisting and all these scientific things. But there's also another reason. And for those of you who are interested, there's, you know, it's not a random pattern, and we've been known to encode messages and things in the past. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what he said. <laughs> and six hours later, somebody on the internet decoded what the message in this parachute said. So there were four concentric rings of patterns, of pattern in the parachute, and it was a binary encoded message which read "Dare mighty things." And then on the outer ring of the parachute were the was GPS coordinates for JPL in California, which is pretty cool. It's just, it's the little thing. There were so many little things about that that were so neat. Like, it's some really good questions. Like, how do you make sure that you're getting the right colors from your camera? Like, how do you know that things are actually, yeah. that this is like the real yeah. Martian color? Calibrated correctly. Yeah. And yeah. when the camera like tilted down, there's a color wheel yep. that they... Like a target disc yeah. kind of, yeah. Yeah, that's like on the, that's on the thing. So the camera like looked down like going, okay, that should be blue, that should be red, that should be this. And like, so like, <laughs> I was like, that's, yeah, that's they so did simple, that, that makes sense. Apollo moon landings too. There's these, oh, did they? Yeah, each of the cameras in the film reels, they had a like a, a calibration chart that they took a photograph of mm. so that they could, you know, with different shades of grays and different colors and things. And so they could use that to determine what the actual reference colors should have been. It was kind of interesting. That's so neat. It's giddy, man. Next up, next up this year is, um, or the next big thing this year is supposed to be the James Webb. Supposed to be. Supposed to be. Fingers crossed. Behold my breath when that one goes up. They've been working on that one for so long. I'll be just... Oh boy. That's kind of a, that will be pucker factor when that one goes up. I don't mean to sound too callous. I'm going to sound some callous. When you send man people on a rocket... You never want it. You want it to succeed. You don't want to have a loss of life. Yeah. But there's always more astronauts. <laughs> I'm, be, I'm trying. I'm trying to be a little, a little lighthearted here. But the James Webb man, this thing has been. They wouldn't rebuild this thing. This isn't no. like contact. Why have one when you can have two at twice the price? It's not right. This is a one and done thing. Yeah. I. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Hopefully, it'll go up. Mm. Hey, so. Rovers on Mars, that's pretty awesome. There's so much more we could go into on this stuff, but we should chat about Microsoft cloud news from this last week. Now let's go into the clouds. We've got to come back back under the clouds. Back down to Earth, exactly, and get into some other news. Do you want to lead us off? Sure. I've got two rapid-fire ones I'll give you. One of them is Microsoft is doing a massive investment in the Atlanta area. They are building a huge facility. I think it's going to be able to have uh, 2,500 employees. And it's in the northern area of Atlanta. There's an, an area called, was well, it Alpharetta, uh, Buckhead, Midtown area in this place. And they're building up this area called like Quarry Hills, Quarry Yards. So hmm. they're doing a big, big investment in the South. Um, it's interesting because there's a lot of investment of like tech going on in Atlanta. Atlanta's turning into being quite the 
quite a little tech really? like the next uh, the next Austin, but it's not as expensive as like you know the West Coast or Austin. So it's it's actually yeah. relatively very cheap. Interesting, I didn't know that. The other thing too that's going on is that uh, apparently LinkedIn is getting into the gig marketplace area. They are looking to build their own implementation of think Fiverr, think Upwork, but think with a focus on knowledge based work. That can be done remotely and online. Oh, yeah. So, hmm. like, they've already made one acquisition of this one company called UpCouncil, which is a, a way to kind of link up uh, freelance lawyers to, with clients. Mm. That's more of like a vertical marketplace, but they're looking to implement something like that in there. But it's, it's kind of like the same thing that we do with Fiverr and with Upwork, but it's going to be part of LinkedIn. So... You know, I don't know. I mean, I know I know some people absolutely love LinkedIn. I've got like a love-hate relationship with it. I, it feels like there's a lot of noise in it, especially yeah. the whole mail system that they have is just ridiculously absurd, like filled with no, with yep. mail with noise. Just junk. Yeah, just so much salesy stuff. But I'm just curious to see where Microsoft goes with this. That will be interesting to watch. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is part of their plan is not part of their plan. Maybe this is part of the the direction they want to go is not just be the data store, but also start to do interesting things with that data, mm-hmm. applications that use it and things. So, Dare, mm. dare mighty things. Dare mighty things. Uh, I wouldn't say it's that mighty, no. but anyway. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> what you got for us? Microsoft is testing kids mode for Edge. Now, the reason why I bring this up is I re- rebuilt my computer this last weekend and I've decided to give Edge a go. Hmm. And, for science, I see. For science, I don't know if I'm going to stick with it long term, but I thought I'd give it an honest crack. Hmm. So I am trying my best to just use Edge on my freshly built Windows PC. By the way, like I started noticing really weird stuff going on on my PC, and I thought, man, that's strange. Like there was some USB disconnecting issues. You know, when you get the doodling, 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 like weird stuff going on flashing windows and all sorts of bizarre stuff. And I thought, wow, it's been a while since I rebuilt my PC. And I thought about it and I was like, actually, I don't think I've ever rebuilt this PC since I built the PC. Oh my goodness. And so, yeah, that was like three years ago. Wow. Yeah, I don't think I've ever rebuilt this PC. Wow. And I thought, well, but you know, it's kind of like Russian roulette, right? Rebuilding a PC. It's like, I really, really, really... Well, this, I don't really want to do Russian roulette, but I really, really, really want to do it, but I'm also scared I'm going to shoot myself in the head. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just so painful. And so I finally got around to do it. And so then I thought, well, now I've take, I've, now I've bitten the bullet and I've done all this. I'll try Edge. I mean, it can't be more painful than the rebuild. So, <laughs> so, so far, so good. I'm using it as my primary browser and um, it's going okay so far. Yeah, but I don't have the device sync. I haven't tackled the whole inter-device sync things yet. Mm. Right, this is I'm just using it on my primary PC. I'm curious to hear your your results of this because I mean I wanted to. I did it a little bit, and I when I say I did it a little bit, I and I have Edge installed. I think I have the Dev Edge installed as well on my MacBook, and I tried it, and I was like. I don't see any much of a difference enough to where I really need to switch from Chrome because the big thing I was looking for was a performance benefit and I, I didn't see anything. And so I'm just like, so is this just one of those things you do because Microsoft people are like, you should use edge. Like I, I need because it's Microsoft. Yeah. I need more. So the one, the one redeeming feature that I've found so far that I actually really do like is the integration with Microsoft's identity system somehow it makes somehow I, don't, I haven't gotten to the bottom of exactly how it's doing it, but there's some integration between Windows and Edge and Microsoft Identity, where signing in with multiple different identities and picking which identities you want to sign in with is a much nicer experience. Hmm. They should talk to the Teams group than on Chrome. Hmm. Yeah, they should talk to the Teams group for sure. But it's actually the one one thing I've noticed that I've that I do really like about it is when you've got different 365 
different 365, not different profiles. Like not, I'm not setting up separate profiles in it. I have done that as well, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you go to sign in to say Office 365 mm-hmm. and you've got access to, I don't know, four or five different tenancies with different logins, the experience of picking which one you want to sign in with mm-hmm. is really quite smooth. Mm. So I was impressed by that. Cool. I don't know how they're doing it. It feels sort of Windowsy integration. I'm not sure if it's the same on a Mac, for example. Well, I know that the identity stuff wasn't. That was a separate kind of login that I had to do for... Because yeah. I, I tried it with like an MSA account and I tried it with an AAD account. And I had some trouble getting the sync first to set up. It wasn't as straightforward. I had to go to some special screen and ask somebody who actually works in the Edge team on Twitter like how to do this. And like, look here and see if this is... I remember that, yeah. I was like, this is too... This, a consumer's never going to do this. Prices on the internet are too damn high. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't have enough of an experience to be like, there's just not, I'm not interested in going through and switching everything over. And then the hassle of trying to find stuff that is, I have to, they push me to like their extent, Microsoft pushes you to their extension store. But when you want to use stuff in the Chrome extension store, which is where everything is, then you have to do something special for that. And it's like, huh, there's a little bit of friction here. At least that's, that was what I remember when I first tried it. And I was like, there's just a little too much friction here that I just like, I, that might've changed. Cause I, when I, I imported stuff from Chrome. Mm-hmm. So I imported, including my extensions. So it imported extensions and it just gave me a warning and said, are you sure you want to install this extension? It's from a different store. And I was like, yep, cool, go ahead. Boom. And they were all they were loaded. So I'm curious if you go try to install a new extension, when you first go to look for it and you don't see it, and you have yeah. to then say, I want to use a different store, and then you got to say, I want to go to Chrome, and then kind of switch over. And it's not, it's mm. a little bit more, it's a little bit of friction that your average consumer, I think, won't. Yeah, I may be giving. Yeah. I may not be giving people enough credit, but I think it's just a little bit extra friction that you don't have in Chrome. That I wonder if it's going to be enough to get people to be like, ah, this isn't what I want. No, I it makes sense. Could be totally wrong with that, though. So anyway, Microsoft are doing work with Edge for, and they're introducing Kids Mode, which will turn on a bunch of safety features, safe searching, tracking, prevention, set to strict, and a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Make sure kids are uh, are not. Unsafe on the internet. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. This past week, we saw uh, Microsoft is continuing what we heard about at Ignite. Oh, this might have been two years ago, maybe three years ago, when they launched a unified Office app for iOS. So you didn't have to have separate apps for Word, Excel, PowerPoint. And of course, like... I saw that and I'm like, sweet, I use Office on my iPad. Let's go, we go get this new app. It's like, nope, sorry, it's just for iPhone like or iOS. Like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Well, this week they did launch that. So now it is in the um, Apple App Store. You can go get the Office app that has Word, Excel, and PowerPoint available to you. I'm unclear as to, is it like a scaled down version or is it really like the Uber app? So like, and I don't mean like the car service, I mean like the everything app. Like, can I go through and delete Word, Excel, and PowerPoint from my iPad and I'd lose no functionality? And now it's just a little bit less, going back to what I was talking about a minute ago, is it just less friction now when I want to go through and work with an Office app? I don't know. I mean, I, I hope so. But from what I've what I've seen, it's, it seems like there's nothing, like there's nothing that I've missed. It's just what I don't know, though, what's a little confusing to me that I haven't seen is that it does talk about this as being a lightweight app compared to the other one. And it's like, yeah. Less of a download size, and they seen the they saw the other apps as overkill, and it's like, so are you limiting what we can do in the new all inclusive one app? But if you want to do anything real, you want to switch to the Word and the Excel and the, and the PowerPoint app. I'm like, well, what am I missing? So I don't know. Right. Yeah. Wonder how they've done that. Hmm. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, that is interesting. What I have done that. Azure are introducing new industry-specific clouds. Mm. Bum, bum, bum. I think we've talked about these before. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about, uh, was it for finance? I can't remember. Health. Health, that's what it was. Yes. So there are new industry-specific cloud offerings for, and they're called Microsoft Cloud for Financial Services, Microsoft Cloud for Manufacturing, and Microsoft Cloud for non-profit. Mm. I would love to talk to somebody who knows stuff about this because I don't get it. Mm. Like, that, are they adding p- specific services that are specific to financial services, manufacturing, and non-profit? Which bits of Azure are different in these scenarios? Or is it that there are pre-canned 
solutions running on Azure for these industries, that is a little unclear to me. Yeah, when they talk about separate clouds, to me, that sounds, that to me, when I hear that, I'm like, so you have different data centers? Like you've got, like, I get that Azure China is different from like an, an Azure GCC, the Gov one in the United States is different from the vanilla Azure that you and I yeah. use. But yeah. when I hear about this- Public for cloud version. Yeah, the public cloud version. Mm-hmm. So when I hear about these different verticals, different industry specific things, I'm like, why can't you use the, is this just the public cloud, but you've got like a different kind of onboarding experience? Do you get special pricing? I don't know. Because- no. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. I, I suspect it's all the same Azure underneath mm-hmm. and that they've added specific- type solution-y offerings mm. that you can use in them if you're a financial services company, for example. Mm. So yes, Microsoft, what's interesting about this is they're trying heavily to focus on verticals again and attract people in those industries specifically to their platform mm. using this at a competitive differentiation point. Makes sense. I've got something here that we I don't know much about, and no one seems to know much about it, at least outside of Microsoft. And so this is more of a teaser for what we might learn about at Ignite. And then, of course, we might not. Apparently, the Power Platform guys are readying something brand new that is apparently being called Power FX. Are they renaming VBA? Is that what this is? It's very funny you say that because they said, think VBA. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In the article, yeah, it was something like, think VBA, like, what, what, what? We don't really know too much about this. Microsoft isn't talking at all about it. Mary Jo broke the story on this on ZDNet in the last week, actually on, on February the 19th. And then two, three days later, Microsoft finally commented on it. And they said, Microsoft does not comment on rumors or speculation. Apparently, this is something that is, apparent, that is, that is planned to be announced at Ignite. So Ignite is right around the corner. It's actually, I think it's the first week of March. So we might learn more about yeah. it. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll have to keep posted for that. Isn't that funny? VBA is super old now, I guess. And Microsoft's been trying to get away from it, mostly because it's not, it wasn't, I believe it still isn't, cross-platform capable. And so you couldn't have macros running on different versions of Excel on Mac versus Windows and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it was, it's so heavily adopted. I mean, you, can, you can't get rid of it entirely. Mm. But I guess Power Platform might be taking some of those kinds of things of a very simple type formula-based language and getting them into mm-hmm. Power users' hands. Curious. We'll see. So, you know Jedi and the whole ongoing shenanigans with what's going on with, with that contract with Microsoft? There was a post actually put out yesterday on February the 22nd by a guy called Eric Brown, who's the Vice President of Azure Global Mission Platform Engineering. Hmm. Now, this goes through, I'm not going to talk about it in detail here because 98% of the acronyms mean nothing to me because <laughs> I'm not in the not in the defense space. don't know much about defense. But what I thought was interesting about this post was more about what it said between the lines than what it actually said on the lines, which is, Microsoft put out this post saying, hey, look at all this amazing stuff we're doing for the defense industry. (laughs) Look at all this great work that we've done. Look at all this extensive IaaS and PaaS capabilities at DOD IL-5, whatever that means, impact level 5. Look at all this stuff. Like, Look at all these 120 Azure government services are now accredited at DOD impact level 5, for example, and how we've We've got all these CMMC compliance for DOD supplies. And it's just like, just like, we've done all this work. You gave us the contract. Can we just start using it, please? Yeah. <laughs> Can we get rid of this nonsense and just move forward? Yeah. I've never seen more acronym soup in my life. DFARS, GDIT, AOS hyphen G, DEOS. Like, <laughs> there's a ton of acronyms in here. And <laughs> but it seemed like a, uh, a very much like a, look at all the stuff we've done. This We deserve this. Yeah. Look at all the stuff. I'm sure they do. They've done, a, apparently, from what I've heard as well, they've worked hard on everything that was required to meet the requirements for that contract. So, yeah. And there's still a lot more work to go. So, yeah. It's, uh, anyway, I just thought it was funny. It seemed like it was uh, sort of in line with keeping the DOD happy. Yeah, that's interesting. That's funny. Last one here. I think it's the last one we've got here. 
Apparently, we've got a big chip shortage. Normally, I wouldn't get into politics, but this trying to stay aside from the political side of this. The Biden administration has had a big meeting, apparently, to talk about the current chip shortage in the world, computer chip shortage. Oh, so did you know? Lunch. I mean, Jesus, man, you're scaring me. Yeah. <laughs> Do not take my salt and vinegar chips away from me. Man, please. There's apparently a big chip, computer chip shortage going on, so much so that it's impacting automakers, right? They're having to, I think Chevy was slowing production of a couple of lines of cars to move the chips that they have to higher value lines for them, right? So using the chips in other lines Hmm. and slowing the manufacturing of cars down because they didn't have enough to go around. So I'm sure that the problem, well, if you have tried to buy a high-end GPU for your computer recently, you will understand this problem. They are as rare as hen's teeth trying to find like high-end GPUs at the moment. Never heard that expression, but I get it. Haven't you? No. Rare as hen's teeth? No, no yeah. it took a second. I was like, yeah, I guess they don't have those. <laughs> Man, there's still, even after living here for 14 years, there's still stuff that I do that doesn't translate. <laughs> well, but it, what's funny too is that we, as long as we've known each other, that's the first time I've heard you say that. Oh, really? Yeah. So huh. That's interesting. Yeah, anyway, so there's a big chip shortage and the Biden administration is meeting with a whole bunch of lawmakers from Congress and manufacturers and all this sort of stuff to figure out how to do this. Because I guess you could consider this, at some point this becomes sort of a, a national security thing when when it impacts, you know, not just the ability to make a car, mm. but a whole bunch of other things and semiconductors in general. So, huh. yeah, I just didn't realize that, it, I mean, I knew GPUs were hard to get because I've kind of been following the news for that. Oh, here we go. Ford said this month, due to a lack of chips, it would cut the company's production by up to 20% in the first quarter. Wow. Yeah. And that it was forced to reduce the output of its F-150 pickup line at two factories because of it. Yeah. That's surprising. It's a rollback in the production. There's not a shortage in the sense that, like with GPUs, I know there's been a high demand for it, but it's been, it hasn't been, there's nothing artificial that's causing that or, or it's... Production has slowed down because, like, closing factories in China and stuff during the pandemic, so they've gotten behind. It's kind of like one of those things. Like, like I have a, I think so. I have a ceramic grill. I know friend, friends that have those have they've got parts of their grill that is broken. The ceramic pieces are made in China and they're shipped over, and so they're like, usually you can get a piece in about two months. And now they're like, we can't tell you when we're going to be able to honor your warranty because we don't have anything and we don't know when we're getting pieces back. I'm really surprised it's gone on this long, right? Yeah. Like initially, I totally get it, but it's kind of surprising to me that the impact of the supply chain stuff has been so dramatic for so long. Yeah, I would have expected it to have bounced back. But I guess this is kind of interesting. The the administration are going to undertake a comprehensive review of supply chain for critical goods. I guessing what this is leading to is saying. There are just some things that we need to have the ability to manufacture in the US, for example, in this case, mm-hmm. right? as other countries would also say for themselves, we have to have the capability to do certain things ourselves. And that maybe this is saying, hey, chips are just so important now that we need more capability, more US semiconductor manufacturers, perhaps. I don't know. We've talked about this a few times. It's interesting to see the impacts that this pandemic is having on the world. I mean, take the health side of it out of it. The dependence or the realizing that, you know, we're moving all of our manufacturing over to China because it's just cheap and everything. But it's like, okay, yeah, you save the dollars here, but look, it makes you more vulnerable in other areas. Is this really what you want? And then you have this, have the, you have to have this discussion. What's the trade off? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. It's not to say that one is, one is bad and what is good. It's just that it's things that we haven't had to think about before. Getting your hands on a GPU. Yeah, I mean, is that mission critical? Uh, it's like, it's acceptable. Uh, I don't know. You know, what you want to get a, Semiconductors, like, yeah, is it is it critical? Like, ah, so you can't get a new switch for your rack or something? Like, I don't know. The debate's interesting. It is. I just found this interesting because it's obviously chips are so integral to everything we do these days. Yeah. It's becoming critical infrastructure. Yeah. All right. That's the news, AC. Why don't we get on to some picks? Sounds good. AC's Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right. Let's get going. What have you got exciting for us this week? <laughs> this one's fun. I found a guy who's made a service called Creeping as a Service, CRAS. Basically what it does is it monitors all these different social networks 
like LinkedIn and Twitter or whatever. And it lets you know when they've done something like change their bio or change their work story or, or their, their work history. <laughs> so it's creeping as a service. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> so you can see what how people sort of update their apps and update their bios and stuff like that. Yep. It's just, I mean, it's it's random, but it's like, yeah, okay, this is kind of cool. So you see things like where uh, the, like the service is like, um, it says, hey, this guy changed his bio. He used to be at Robinhood app. Now he's at, he used to be at Robinhood app, at Uber, at Stanford. Now it's currently working on something new. <laughs> I love the example here they give of Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, changed their bio to former CEO of Dogecoin, changed their bio to budgie smuggler. If you don't know what a budgie smuggler is, we're not going to get into it on the show, but look it up in Urban Dictionary. <laughs> changed their bio to born 69 days after 420. He changes his, apparently he changes his bio 23 times in 2020. I mean, I know he does a lot, but come on. Yes. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it's interesting. Funny. What you got for us? I have a interesting article. I thought it was interesting. called Arranging Invisible Icons in Quadratic Time. So I'll try and give you the too long didn't read. What happened is, you know, there's people that use their desktop like a folder <laughs> and they put a lot of files and folders on there. Yeah. Right? And like I'm, I'm guilty of this from time to time. Anyway, this one person had hundreds of things on their desktop to the point where they just started using it like a normal folder, and there was just thousands of thousands of things on their desktop because they just used it as a dumping ground, like a temporary folder. Mm-hmm. And they wondered why their Windows performance was really suffering, and so they did this whole analysis, and it turns out the arrangement of icons on the desktop is not particularly optimized for rendering. And so even though you might have a couple hundred icons you can see on the desktop, when you've got thousands that aren't even visible, they're still being rendered. They're still being, all of the processing about rendering them is going into it. And it had this real measurable impact on Windows performance. And this person did a deep dive with all these sort of debugging tools on where explorer.exe was spending its time and sure enough it's doing a whole bunch of spending a whole bunch of time arranging the icons on the desktop for rendering purposes and that, so they go into the whole reason why that's the case how to avoid it how they found it all the tools they used and the interesting part is at the end is lessons for software developers and how something that could work well with test data (laughs) doesn't necessarily work well and doesn't scale to production and how like quadratic or, you know, exponential things can get out out of control pretty quick. This is fascinating. It turns out arranging the icons on your desktop and rendering them is, is basically, is a quadratic function effectively. So this guy, he even, the guy that found it, he posted it on the WinDev, opened a bug on the WinDev Microsoft repo. It's called the Big O into the second power CPU performance and explore with many images on the desktop. It's got a real issue that is even filed here as well. Yeah, I, I read the whole thing. I was fascinated by this. I wish I had uh, this. Not because it impacts me, but I must say after my rebuild, I have no icons on my desktop because of this. Oh, very nice. <laughs> I want to shave off all the milliseconds. So, um, yeah, that was that interesting article. We've got one more here as well. Yeah, this one's awesome. So this was shared with me last week, and I've been sitting on it until you came back. I don't know if you've watched this yet. It's about 20 minutes long. No. If you've ever wanted to see how to create a computer-assisted pool cue to hit the most perfect shot and have it done by a machine. Perfect shots and pool. Perfect shots and pool and have it done by a machine. This thing can do it. So what this guy did, he goes through the entire process of creating a little piece that sits on the end of a pool stick, and it figures out, based on a camera above the the table, looking down at the table, he goes through all the challenges he runs into trying to do like where the picture is kind of like morphed a bit and everything, and finds the perfect shot. But he doesn't tell you where to hit the shot. You just kind of line the cue up close to it, and it figures out based on how it can move the cue around. It moves it around with it based on these little like servos and everything, and hits the perfect shot. Not only that, 
He even got through and got the guy from Smarter Every Day to play a game with him to where he created a website and the other guy would go through and, and have, it would show him a picture of the table and he would say, I want to hit a shot right here with this much English on the on the shot. And the guy that was playing first person took the pull cue, set it down right up against the ball and the computer hit the shot the, the guy from Smarter Every Day actually hit so they could play back and forth. <laughs> Destin, wow, that's cool. It's really cool. It's about 20 minutes long and the geeky side of it, you look at it and try, trying to figure out like, Oh my God, how did you figure this out? And yeah, the guy's wife yeah. is incredibly patient with him, but I had never heard of this guy before. This is from Wichter Whelan, right. uh, a good friend of ours over in Sweden. And I started watching this. I got like five minutes into it. And I looked at the time like, oh God, this is going to be 20 minutes long. Okay, I'll watch half of this. And I got to the 10 minute mark. And I'm like, I'm in, man. I got to see where this thing goes. I got to see how, where this finished. And he just, he kept taking it to the next level but not to the point where it was going extreme. It was like, how do I address this problem? And the way he was doing it, it's, you ever see one of those things that it's like, I could do this. You kind of get into it going, all right, now this is the part where I would go like, I have no idea what to do with this and I would probably give up. But seeing people like this, like, holy crap, you really went there. Wow, I'm definitely going to watch that. Speaking of Smarter Every Day, I watched his latest video about how they make oxygen on nuclear submarines. And um, that was really interesting. You know how he went on board the, I think it was the Toledo, yeah, something like that. Anyway, it's the next one in the series about how they make oxygen and fascinating. Huh. I love his videos. It was good. I recommend checking out this good one. Good pick. So, Wichter. Thanks, Wichter. Yeah, that was awesome. Excellent. All right, AC. Well, we will catch up next week during Ignite after, I guess, after the keynotes and all that sort of stuff. We'll probably have Ignite news to talk about, a bit of a roundup of those sorts of things and see what they talk about. It's going to be strange this year. Sort of a mini Ignite? Seems like it. It seems, yeah. it doesn't, day that we're recording this, I got an email that says, hey, the session scheduler is out. And I really quick, quickly looked at it and I was like, well, show me all the Azure dev sessions. I was like, that's it? <laughs> so I I don't know if I just saw something early or if this is an end user problem or what, but. Right, I have to go check it out. We'll see. I'll see if there's anything exciting to watch. I always watch the keynotes anyway. Yeah, cool. All right, man, have a good one. Stay safe, talk to you next week. Yeah, man, you too. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.